Welcome, dear listeners, to another episode of Serenity Speaks Conversations on Wellness. Today, we are honoured to host a remarkable individual whose life story is nothing short of inspiring. At the age of 78, our guest, Pat Reeves, is a seasoned nutritional therapist, practising lifestyle and functional medicine. But that's not all. Pat is a force to be reckoned with in the world of powerlifting. As the current world champion powerlifter and an international referee, she has defied age norms and shattered expectations. Pat is also currently a personal trainer, health educator and writer. In the first part of our conversation with Pat, she shares her extraordinary journey having faced not one, but two life-altering terminal diagnoses within a span of 10 years. Firstly, a brain tumour, and then bone tumours. Yet, Pat's resilience and determination led her to not only survive, but thrive. She is also the author of an amazing book, A Living Miracle, Fight Cancer at Its Cellular Level and Win. Join us as we delve into Pat Reeves' insights on wellness, her unique approach to health, and the transformative power of her own experiences. This promises to be a conversation that will inspire, uplift, and leave you with a renewed appreciation for a strength that resides within us all. I'm Pat Reeves. I've been in nutritional functional medicine for almost 40 years now Um, so I work rather like a GP I see the same type of illnesses and problems but obviously I'm working with food to heal and not drugs so that is the big difference but you know I work with anything that people have whether it's super serious things or just annoying illnesses Many years ago now, I was diagnosed with um, an incurable brain tumour, which set me on the path of looking at the best ways I could help myself and the most healthiest food, um, which just happened to be plant-based. So I went through all the different foods and found out which would give me a better chance and the ones that came with more problems so eventually I took it all down um, and it happened to be plant-based so I never set out to be vegan for the reasons that most people do Um, so for me it was really just for health purposes Mm. and hoping to keep me alive so I was given 12 months with that brain tumour Um, I didn't take any treatments. Yes, they could have given me chemo, but they said it probably won't help. So knowing all the problems that you get with chemo, I thought Mm. maybe I could do something better. Um, And so about 14 months later, that tumour was shrinking. Um, After two years or so, it was just not there anymore. Um, and yeah it was a very stressful time at at that point in my life and most people 
seemed to fall sick with something really serious during a period of stress and most people can trace that back. So then I had 10 good years um, and during that time um, I took up uh, keep fit, the usual black leotard, little slipper type things that we used to wear in those days. Um, and the group I was in, we decided that we could put a display on for the Black Country Olympics, um, which was held in the West Midlands for a few years in way back then. And that was a good, good event. We all trained ourselves. We came up with a routine. Uh, and from that, we put on a big display at the Albert Hall, uh, which was massive. Um, and we all loved it and I think that's what gave me the competitive edge so um, I was about 38, 39 before I thought seriously you need to take this to the next level so um, I started running and my youngest son um, he was a very very good runner and so we trained together and then I started doing longer and longer distances and I competed at everything from 10k to a marathon. Um, I was good at marathons, I, I was, my times were better um, collectively, they were better over a marathon. So I did 2.35 in Oslo, um, whereas my 10k or my 10 mile um, weren't as good. I was still winning them, but it was the marathons that I liked. So the longer you made me run, the better I liked it. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, well, this is only working me from the waist down. So I thought, maybe I ought to do some resistance training. Uh, and so I signed up for, uh, as a gym in Stourbridge, which had a marvellous name called Motivation. Uh, it's not there now because this is a long years ago. Um, but I went there every day for a year and used the gym every day for a year. And during that time, I acquired all my own equipment. And so I used my one-year subscription and then trained at home. Uh, and then acquired a coach. Um, and unbeknown to me, he was a powerlifter. But I didn't know that for two or three years. So he coached me in bodybuilding. I competed at bodybuilding. And then he said, I think you should try powerlifting. So uh, he invited me to a competition in Hampshire. And I watched all these little girls picking up enormous weights and thought, I could never do anything like that. Um, but he showed me how to do those three lifts which embrace squats which is bar on your back and a deep knee bend uh, bench press which obviously is lying on a bench and you're pushing the bar up to arm's length and then deadlift where you're just picking this enormous weight up off the floor uh, obviously there's a lot of technicalities to to that um, and so eventually I competed at that. I had to drop my 100 mile a week running down to 20 uh, when I was taking on the British squad. Um, and then I, I competed at 
West Midlands, um, the Nationals, and then we had a Commonwealth then, uh, we had Europeans and Worlds, so I did all those, and uh, still have the records with Baller. Um, and then what made me change to BDFPA, which is British Drug Free uh, Powerlifting Association, is one of the gyms we used to compete in changed hands and the person who now then owned it wouldn't put any heat on at all. The place was absolutely freezing. And I vividly remember sitting on a line of chairs with the other lifters and when the next person went up to squat or bench, they took off their tracksuit, obviously, because you have to have specific clothing on to competing. And they used to give it the next person they were sitting by and put it on your legs to give you a bit of warmth. And I actually overheard a conversation because at that point, we were always told that if you lifted for baller, you couldn't lift for anybody else. And um, I overheard a conversation saying that that rule had now been relaxed. And um, I spent some time with the person who was saying that. And when I came, when I got back home, I thought, well, let's look up this other association. Surely they don't have events on in such freezing cold places. Because that was Tisley, which was then our centre of excellence. Um, and so I looked up BDFPA, I looked up my age and weight category and who was lifting what at the time. And I thought, I'll join this association. Um, and so I did, and I competed from 2005, I joined. Um, so I did all there local ones, nationals, Europeans, worlds, made records in everything, so I won every event I did, and I was competing about 10 times a year then. Um, and over time, um, I became over the West Midlands, and as divisional representative, um, then I took the exam to be a referee and in, so I was doing divisionals and nationals. I did my national referee and then uh, in 2011 I was promoted to international referee which allowed me to referee at world events um, and so went all around the world doing that. Uh, so sometimes I would go to an event just to referee and sometimes I would referee on squat day. So if you were doing the world, you would squat on Friday, bench on Saturday, deadlift on Sunday. Um, and so I would referee, and I still do, uh, referee squat day, bench day and lift on deadlift day because now I'm specialising in deadlifting and not the other lifts, mainly because of the accident and oh. getting older. So I'm 79 this year. Oh. Uh, so I'm now the oldest person, oldest lady lifting um, across the planet at my age and weight category.
So mm. now I'm competing against me. Um, <laughs> so, and I've been doing that for a lot of years. So uh, we have five-year increments in BDFBA. So you have to lift a certain amount um, for your age and your weight. Mm. So what I've done for quite a few years now is when I hit the next birthday, um, I can lift less because my qualifications are less and then slowly increase it over the five years wow. so that I'm continually breaking the record within that age and weight category. Fantastic. Um, so, and then 2018, 19, I think, um, I became, uh, we, we created BDFPO as a limited company and I'm now one of the directors. So I'm general secretary to BDFPA. Um, I've done all sorts of things. I've been technical secretary. I ran the message board until we now have a Facebook page. So a big part of my life, mm -hmm. definitely, yes. And with bodybuilding, it's all about how you look and mm -hmm. how you present yourself. Mm -hmm. So you would do a routine which shows off the best parts of you. Right. So you're being judged on how you look. In mm -hmm. powerlifting, it doesn't matter how you look. <laughs> um, you're judged on your strength. Well, the first mm -hmm. time I, I worked with the, with the original brain tumour, mainly mm -hmm. through diet and not that much through exercise. Mm -hmm. um, it was only when cancer occurred again 10 years later. Now, it took them a long time to work on, on that because at that point, um, I had started keep fit and I had started running. And so I had big problems with my knee um, and they just put that down to excessive running. Mm. But that was the first of the bone tumours. So that was osteosarcoma. So I still have 14 bone tumours, never having any conventional treatment, um, but I've deactivated all of them now. So I've not had any surgery on them. Um, so yes, then it was more, mm. um, more through still doing diets, obviously, but doing fitness things as well. So it, it started basically with keep fit, um, mm. a bit of running, mainly because my son was really good at running mm. and so we did things together. And then when I was doing long distance runs, he'd be on his bike with his little bike computer <sighs> and I had to hit the trees at the exact second. Um, so... Um, everything was very regimentated mm. and when I was told that I had to not completely pack up running but certainly not to do, not doing the distances because of the powerlifting um, the way I got out of running so I ran for about 20 mile a week for a couple of years mm. and then the only way I managed to give up running was go out without the stopwatch because then things didn't make sense anymore I had I didn't have like when I get to that green door it must say 2.10 seconds so I didn't have that 
Yeah. And it's like, okay, I can afford to do without this now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I still ran, but I stopped competing at running. Um, without the stopwatch, mm. you haven't got a marker. Um, that, yeah. At least that was, that was for me. That was yeah. the way. Um, and, I, and I knew I had to reduce the mileage. So that was a way of not going out with anything that said, you know, if I go to the school field up there and they've got the track and it's a 3,000 metre track, so I have to do it at this time. When you, when you haven't got that to measure, mm. it becomes not so exciting. So I thought that running was working me from the waist down yeah. and I wasn't doing anything from the waist up. So what else could I do? Mm. Um, so yes I just started off with little dumbbells and whatever um, but I did enjoy it so I'm thinking well if I've got to pay this much for the whole year at this gym <laughs> I will go every day <laughs> so I did um, mm. that never included classes I never did aerobics there I only did the weights um, and then as I say I, I produced all my own equipment I have my own big gym here um, and so eventually it was all powerlifting mm. equipment. The first competition I actually witnessed and went mm. down to look at what is powerlifting all about. Okay. When I walked to the door, it was the girls that were competing. So right. what we have is a rising bar. So mm. um, the person who lifts the least mm. begins the event. So the more you lift, the more weights they put on the bar. So then you get the first flight. So if you've got 15 people, mm -hmm. um, you might have seven girls and eight guys. So obviously girls don't lift as much as guys. Mm -hmm. So um, I just happened to walk in when they were deadlifting. Mm -hmm. And to me, these these girls look so tiny to the weights they were picking up I thought I'm not going to be able to do this. I used to run uh, a women's only gym in the middle of Dudley for field guys who um, uh, ran the, man, the men's gym and then he opened she lines and mm. I managed that for him uh, and then I used in my lunch break um, I would cross over to the power press where he was so that I could do my powerlifting workout. Um, so, yeah, but then, you know, for the last 20-odd years, um, I've just trained in my own gym, so I don't, I don't have time to go to anybody's gym now mm. unless I'm competing or refereeing. Um, but, yeah, I think many years ago, Women were like, mm, I can't be doing all, be with men and all hot and sweaty and whatever. Uh, but yeah, it, it has changed a lot now. I think maybe the advent of, of women-only gyms um, began that. Um, and I, I did 15 years at Altered Images in Bromsgrove, where I was training people, doing their diets. Um, and we had an enormous amount of women there. And because it was a family-run gym, um, everybody got on great with each other.
didn't know anything at all about nutrition when I was mm. initially diagnosed. Um, it was only that I had to find another way. If, if, if I was only going to have a year, mm. I wanted to live my entire life in that year. Mm. And so nutrition was obviously high on the agenda. And all those many years back, the only reference place you had was the Bristol Cancer Centre, which is still going fine now. And so that was it. that was renamed the Penny Brown Centre because Penny was a nurse there who sadly passed away. And so they renamed it Penny Brown Centre. Um, and so that's where I had my initial ideas of what food was appropriate mm. and what foods weren't. Um, but yeah, so I did a bright neck study. Um, I, I was studying day and night, so I cut my sleep down to two hours, three hours at the most, whilst I studied, trained, did all my clinical work, and then took up other things, um, kinesiology, Alexander technique, herbalism. So um, I did all those things. And so when I uh, did become a practitioner, I had a lot of ammunition for people if you like Um, but now basically it is nutrition and functional medicine so I don't focus on people's illnesses I work with their their own strengths and how they can um, implement things in their life that gives a different spin on how they actually live Um, and obviously stress relief is very important Mm. um, because most people live in a different way when they're under a lot of stress so it's finding the right sort of stress relief for the individual Mm. Um, so yeah it's a very much a, a holistic therapy which is different to going to your doctor with a a pain in your arm, so that's what he treats. He doesn't look at the rest of you, but obviously the rest of you is contributing to the pain in your arm. Um, But obviously conventional medicine does not have the amount of time Mm. to spend with people that I do. Mm. Um, So it's like just coming from a different angle. Thank you for joining Pat and I in the first part of our conversation on Serenity Speaks, Conversations on Wellness. Pat's story is a testament to the indomitable spirit that can overcome life's most challenging hurdles. In part two, get ready to be empowered and enlightened as Pat shares powerful health tips derived from her wealth of experience. Pat leads us into the fascinating realms of kinesiology, dancing and sprouting, and so much more. Pat's unique insights promise to open new doors to holistic well-being and provide practical guidance for transforming your health. Don't miss out on this insightful continuation of our conversation with Pat. Stay tuned, stay inspired and continue your journey to wellness with Serenity Speaks. Until next time, 
take care of yourself.